brand spanking new podcast. I'm your host, Brock Adams. As of this glorious Monday morning, Carmelo warned CP3 about the Rockets' invitation to the Red Wedding, Nick Saban must have filled out his final coach's poll while under the influence, and Patrick Reed forgot his excavating tools in the land down under. But we begin with the three most important things that rocked our world and changed our perspective over the past seven days, or more specifically, the best of last week. First, Joe Burrow is the official Heisman Trophy winner, as if we all haven't known that fact for the last two months. Did you watch the paralysis of the University of Alabama when he stepped on the field in Tuscaloosa? Did you see the curbside treatment he gave Texas A&M in his last game at Tiger Stadium? Did Georgia know they were matching up against a man who has the accuracy of Peyton Manning, the pocket awareness of Tom Brady, and the ruthlessness of Darth Vader? I once heard that while growing up on a farm in Ohio, that when his dad would ask him to go churn some butter, Joe would roundhouse kick the cows in the side and the butter would shoot straight out of their udders. He is that amazing. The win for Burrow was the largest voting margin in Heisman Trophy history, finishing 1,800 points of who even cares what name I insert into this sentence. SEC records of 4,700 passing yards, 48 TDs, and six picks are not a fluke. Said Burrow in his acceptance speech, My journey, I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. And he's right. For a kid who sat the bench for three seasons in Columbus and then was asked to transform a dead-to-rights offense into a dominating force is something no one could have imagined. He deserves every bit of that piece of bronze figurine. However, there is a slight brain cloud looming over the heads of a large number of gentlemen who have hoisted that trophy, and that is this. While they may be the best players on Saturday nights across college campuses, they have a very hard time transferring that greatness to Sunday afternoons in metropolitan cities. Plain and simple, Heisman winners struggle in the pros. This is something of an anomaly to sports writers across the country, almost like a bizarre correlation that cannot really be explained. Kind of like how if someone gets brandished on the cover of a Madden football video game, they have a high chance of a career-ending injury. Or when the consumption of cheese increases in the domestic United States, more people end up dying by getting tangled up in their sheets. True story. Look it up. The anomaly with the Heisman is that as soon as these players have their names engraved on the plate at the bottom, their stock in the NFL almost inevitably begins to drop. I'm going to throw some names out to you, and I just want you to tell me what dent they had in the NFL. Marcus Mariota, Seamus Jameis Winston, Johnny Beta Kappa Manziel, RG3, Sam Bradford, Tim Takeanee Tebow, Troy Smith, Jason White, Matt Leinart, Eric Crouch, Chris Winkie. These are all guys who have won the Heisman and have the label of meh under their descriptions on Wikipedia. Besides corny Nissan commercials, what impact have you seen these guys make on a Sunday afternoon? Now I know you're all going to say, well, what about Lamar Jackson? He's got the MVP locked down this season. And my argument would be, you're right, he does. But let's see how his career plays out next season. Remember when Cam Newton embarrassed linebackers with his legs? What happened after his second place finish in the Super Bowl, the year he won the MVP? He was shut down and forced to throw from the pocket, and that's not what his skill set is. He currently has no job right along with his former coach. The point is, while Burrow is in fact the GOAT and should file a motion to have the letters G-E-A-U-X-T stand in as his new middle name, the odds are not in his favor to have a successful career in the NFL. And to be quite frank with you, that scares me because I love Joe Burrow. He is the underdog workhorse that waves silently to the crowds in Austin, Texas like a pageant participant. He's the player linemen would sacrifice their ACLs for in order to give one brief extra second of time in the pocket to Burrow. 
He's the kind of player every kid in Little League wants to be like when they put on their cleats. The guy who everyone discontinues and puts at the back shelf only to rocket past him with a humble smile on his face. I hope I have to eat my words on this Heisman curse, because Joe Burrow is the QB we all want to see playing for years to come. Second, Rumors surfaced this week that former Ohio State coach Urban Meyer reportedly held meetings with the Dallas Cowboys about a potential head coaching vacancy that could be instigated by Jerry Jones after the Cowboys will inevitably fizzle out in the division title in Week 16 of the Eagles. Jones denied the reports on his daytime radio show, saying that current head coach Jason Carrot will definitely be coaching the NFL next season, which... Go ahead and read between the lines all you want, because he never said that Jason Garrett would be coaching the Dallas Cowboys next season, and Jerry is very nitpicky on the words that he uses in the press. This fuels a fire that was lit a few weeks earlier when Urban Meyer appeared on The Herd and was asked by Colin Coward about coaching the Dallas Cowboys. Myers responded, quote, That's the one job. That's the New York Yankees. That's the Dallas Cowboys. That's the one. Great city, you got Dak Prescott, you got Zeke Elliott, you got a loaded team. To me, that's the one job in professional football that you kind of say, I got to do that. Coward then asked Meyer if he would consider the job. Absolutely, he said. That one, yes. People will only continue to speculate through the middle of January about what will happen at the front office in Arlington. And there are plenty of unknowns that will continue to be unknown at least for a few more weeks. However, there are certain realities that we do know and they are the following. The earth is round, vaccines do not cause autism, and Jerry Jones is a micromanaging control freak. Those are the certainties in this life right up there with the law of gravity, and Roseanne Barr is a racist who can't sing the national anthem. Jerry Jones is a control freak in the sense that he has to be the one with all the power, and he wants everyone to know that they have no right to stand up to him. Look at his history. When he took over in 1989, he hired former teammate and trendy college football guru Jimmy Johnson as the head coach. Johnson won two Super Bowls for the Cowboys and was forced out because Jerry could never publicly acknowledge his greatness. To this day, the second best coach in franchise history is not allowed in the Cowboys' ring of honor because Jerry Jones is still being a stubborn little kid. Same thing with Barry Switzer. Wins a Super Bowl, gets caught with a gun in the airport, Jerry Jones kicks him out. Bill Parcells, a two-time Super Bowl winner, gets fired because he actually has a brain for football and couldn't stand that Jones picked the garbage players for him in the draft. Wade Phillips, a defensive guru, gets fired after four seasons because Jerry Jones couldn't control him. Look at his history. Jerry Jones has had not one, not two, but three Hall of Fame coaches underneath him and cut ties with all of them because they wouldn't say he was pretty in executive board meetings. You want to know why Jason Garrett is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? It's because he's a yes man who wants little to nothing to do with the power in the Cowboys front office. Jerry says jump. Jason says how high. Jerry says, I want to trade for a wide receiver who notoriously drops easy balls. Jason says, well, that's fine with me. We don't need a defense or draft picks that much anyway. Jerry won't fire him because Jason Garrett does every little thing he ever asked him to do. And you think Urban Meyer, a man who has won national titles at big-time universities and is revered as one of the greatest college football coaches of all time, you think this man, a man who whenever he enters a room, people automatically direct their attention to whatever words will come out of his mouth, you think he's going to be a yes man? You think Jerry Jones is going to be fine sharing the front office with this dominating of an individual? Good luck with that lunacy. You must think that Grizzly Adams was a bald vegan, OJ was innocent, and the earth is flat too. 
Finally, a latest development serviced out of the city we should more than likely rename as Patriot Gate because of all the cheating scandals that have been uncovered over the years. It was reported that the New England Patriots were caught videotaping the first quarter of the Cincinnati Bengals-Cleveland Browns matchup last week from the sidelines of the Cincinnati Bengals. Apparently, there was a man caught with a camera wearing a Patriots jersey recording the game and getting footage for what Bill Belichick argued was for a public relations promo video and that he knew nothing about the incident at all. Critics across the country have argued over the relevancy of the story. Some call it heresy and that this further proves the point that the Patriots are deeply routed in dishonesty while others call it a Friday afternoon storyline that has no point whatsoever, and we shouldn't get all hot and bothered about it at all. I don't care one way or the other whether this story is legitimate and something that we should be worried about because it won't change my opinion on the Patriots at all. New England has cheated. They've been openly caught cheating and have faced penalties for cheating on multiple occasions. Their owner got caught cheating in a brothel. This isn't anything new to us, so why should anyone waste any iota of energy thinking that the Patriots are any different from how they proved themselves with incidents in the past? The bigger issue that I think people are missing here is, why in the curse word did the New England Patriots have anyone wearing their jersey within even 500 miles of Southeast Ohio anyway? That's the real question. Let's look at this from two perspectives. Either Belichick is telling the truth, or Belichick is lying. Situation A. Belichick is telling the truth. The New England Patriots were getting footage for an NFL Films promo video called Do Your Job, highlighting the lives of individuals working in the NFL. Well, if that's the case, what moron in pre-production room thought it would be a great idea to get footage of two of the worst franchises in the history of the NFL? If I were hired to do a documentary on the modern marvels of human engineering, the first place I would think of getting B-roll from would not be at Arts Porta Potty Transportation Corporation. There are so many better things to showcase rather than man's ability to mobilize the contents of their bowels. Situation B, Belichick is lying, which, hashtag shocker not shocking, we haven't ever seen this before. Say the Patriots really were videotaping the signals of what at the time would have been their future opponents, who they crushed yesterday anyway. Were they really that nervous that Andy, I haven't made it past puberty, Dalton was going to throw for 400 yards and light them up downfield? Were they that scared that Kevin Huber was going to be punting 70-yard bombs every fourth down and that was going to ruin their field position? Why should the Patriots even care about a 1-13 Bengals team? Worrying about the matchup with Cincinnati is like East Germany getting nervous about the Jamaican bobsled team coming up and stealing gold medals from them. Whether Belichick is lying or he isn't, no one really knows. All we know for certain is that the Patriots are scared out of their minds to face the League of Misfit Toys, or they have a fetish for footage of movable porta-potties. Either way makes no sense to me whatsoever. We now shift to what matters this week, which, as some of you may remember, last week the Houston Rockets were shafted by the NBA refs as they completely botched a call negating a basket made by James Harden. Harden made a steal midway through the fourth quarter and slammed the ball home with no defender within 30 feet. The ball, however, went through the hoop and then circled back over the basket, giving the referees the illusion that it didn't go in. The points were disallowed, after which Mark D'Antoni threw a rightly deserved tissy fit, and the game went on. At the point of the mishap, the Rockets had a 13-point lead, which if Harden's bucket would have been rectified, would have been 15. However, they ended up losing the game in double overtime to the Spurs, 135-133, thus causing the outrage in the streets of Houston. The Rockets immediately petitioned the NBA to correct their officiating gaffe, demanding that either A, 
they would be granted the victory, or B, the NBA would let them replay the last 7 minutes and 50 seconds with a 15-point lead in hand. Referees in any sport have a difficult job trying to please everyone, and are often the most hated villains in competitive history. We've seen gaffes all the time in all sports, from subjective bias for balls and strikes, to Golden Tate somehow being awarded a touchdown on a blatant interception. Refs have made multiple errors in the field of play. The NBA, however, may have the black eye reputation as having the worst refs of all time, due to the fact that they have had to wipe more egg off their face for blown calls and pivotal moments than any of the other big four sports. I'm sure I don't need to remind you about the Kings-Lakers Western Conference Finals rigging of 2002, or the fact that the most well-known referee in NBA history, Tim Donahue, recently got out of prison for confessing that he did fix games-slash-series in his 11-year tenure in stripes. We all know the refs are horrible, and that sometimes the fans' chants of, refs, you suck, are well-deserved, but that's not the point I want to discuss today. Nothing anyone ever says or does will ever get the officials with whistles to ever change their behavior. NBA refs are the equivalent of a five-foot-seven bald lawyer wearing white-rimmed sunglasses while driving a beefed-up Ford F-350. We all know the duallys you have on your back wheels or your attempt at compensating for your moronic behavior. What I would rather focus on for this bit is how there is something that can change in the sports world, and that is the Houston Rockets. Look, I'll say this. I hate the Houston Rockets. I always have. Growing up, I always thought Hakeem paid the refs to ignore his blatant traveling every time he touched the ball. I hated how they instigated the idea of ring chasing through both Clyde Drexel and Charles Barkley. And I will admit, one of the crowning moments of my life was watching John Stockton hit a game-winning three in the Western Finals to take down the Rockets and send them packing. I loved watching T-Mac never make it out of the second round. My friends and I would take bets on whether Luis Scola was their starting center or an Italian sheep herder. And there is no one who received more satisfaction two seasons ago when the Houston Rockets went 0-26 for in Game 7 of the Western Finals. With that being said, this temper tantrum thrown by Daryl Free Hong Kong Mori is something that elevates the irritation they have with the Rockets to an all-time high. Maury, you think that the ref's gaffe on that one play completely changed the outcome of the game and that you deserve to have the game gifted to you on a silver platter? In what universe would this ever make sense? Did you forget that you blew a 13-point lead and lost the game in double overtime? Sure, that bucket would have made a difference, but you cannot point at that brief mishap and say that was the single moment that unraveled your game plan. There were still eight minutes left to play. The real question I have for Houston is, who do you think you are to get this kind of treatment? By your logic, do the Utah Jazz now have the right to ask the NBA to replay the remaining three and a half quarters of their loss to the Lakers last week after LeBron blatantly traveled and double dribbled while bringing the ball to the floor? No. Stupid stuff happens, and all you can do is move on with your life and take the lumps with the victories like everyone else does. Sometimes life is hard, and the Rockets need to move on with life and quit complaining about how every minute detail doesn't go their way. You are not the Houston Chris Pauls anymore, so quit acting like them. Heck, you shipped him off your roster already, so you shouldn't do anything remotely close to how Sir Flops-a-Lot behaves. Which brings us to this. Every 10 years in television, we see brief glimpses of perfection where shows tell an eloquently crafted story from start to finish, with the series finale being a Machiavellian piece of perfection. Like Sam Malone turning out the lights at the bar, or the camera fading out on Walter White's dead body in the warehouse. 
However, for every Cheers and Breaking Bad, we have dozens of cringeworthy final moments in some of the best shows we've fallen in love with. Like Jerry Seinfeld's crew sitting in a jail cell in Massachusetts. Dexter Morgan realizing his ultimate life goal was to become a lumberjack. Ted Mosby's kids hearing about how their dad fell in love with their Aunt Robin. And how nobody is better suited to be the ruler of King's Landing than Bran the Broken. You don't want it, Jon Snow. What are you thinking? As fans of these atrocities, all we can do is complain on social media and then go back to our normal, regularly scheduled lives. Because in all reality, me complaining about how my favorite show of all time should be aptly renamed How I Met Your Aunt Robin really isn't going to do anything in this world. There are bigger things to worry about, and a fictional character's love life should not be on my high list of priorities. Yes, as a fan, I am justified in complaining that I didn't like how the series ended. But I'm not going to sign a petition to CBS demanding that they reshoot Season 9. And that's something that Daryl Morey and the Houston Chris Paulus Rockets need to realize. Sometimes things just don't go your way, and all you can do is take your lumps and move on. This was not the 1972 Munich Olympics, and a politically rigged conspiracy kept you from winning the gold medal. This was a regular season road game in December that more than likely will be forgotten by Tuesday. Petitioning to the NBA to replay the game displays that you are, in fact, the most whiny, entitled group of weaklings in the history of the Houston Rockets franchise. Grow up, move on, and admit defeat even if it is unjustified. Life is tough, and sometimes things don't end the way that we want them to. But complaining and moaning about the disparity you face on a continual basis is not going to bring Ted Mosby's wife back from the dead. Thanks for listening to Brand Spanking New. We'll definitely be back next week. Unlike UNC basketball after losing at home to Wofford, ouch, Tar Heels, Old Royal have you running laps for days.